Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that connects people who are navigating an STI diagnosis with mental health resources. The podcast features interviews with people who are living with genital HSV, HIV, and who've had experiences with other STIs as well. And we talk about everything from diagnosis to disclosure. And oftentimes these conversations really show the information that doesn't come with the statistics that are shared. Like we see all this quantitative data on STD rates are on the rise, but we don't hear about the person behind them. We don't hear about their absence of resources or lack of education or tools to navigate abusive situations and relationships or have boundaries for themselves or even understand like what consent is and how to identify, you know, when things just aren't right for them in relationships. So a lot of that is what's been coming up here. And uh, one of our bigger goals through Something Positive for Positive People is to not only provide community support resources and mental health resources, uh, but also to integrate our post-SCI diagnosis support resources with STD prevention efforts so that when people are in fact diagnosed, then they have the tools that they need to more readily navigate their diagnosis and what comes next uh, rather than having to go anywhere and look for whatever it is that's just so happens to be available to them. All right, so... I think that's probably as good as an intro is going to get with me not having anything written down. So, Amanda, you're our guest today. How are you? Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. How many times do we have to reschedule? Like, at least five. (laughs) Well, the most recent one was actually pretty important. You just had an anniversary, right? Yes, yes, I did. What'd y'all do? Now, the podcast that I first heard you on, for whatever reason, I, I was thinking about it, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank. What was the podcast that you interviewed on that made me reach out to you so long ago? Uh, so it was Kenzie Brenna's Conversations with Kenzie. So she's a, she's a pretty big influencer on Instagram, um, and she does like so many different things on her podcast, and I just happened to be like, hey, do you want to talk about and she was like, yeah. So oh, so you initiated you initiated that conversation. What made you do that? Yeah. I, sorry? What made you initiate that conversation? Uh, I mean, so I kind of know her from back in my, um, like, Instagram fitness days. We connected through that, and then I, I that fell to the wayside, but I stayed in touch with her. And then I saw she was doing a podcast about any – she was like – she was like, if you have something interesting you want to talk about or something that you feel like is maybe not talked about a lot, contact me. So I just shot her a message and I was like, hey, do you want to talk about like STIs? And she was like, yeah, that'd be cool. So. Oh, okay. I'm always fascinated that like when influencers expand and open up their platform to dialogue around things that are stigmatized like that. Uh, because it always seems like it's genuine. I haven't run into cross anything that's just been like for views or for listens. Um, so it was. It's really nice to hear that this was a genuine thing where she was just like, "Hey, 
let's talk about stuff. And then you happen to be a friend of hers and just wanted to share your story. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Like her whole, um, her whole platform, whether it be called podcasts or her Instagram, like it's all very genuine and, and real. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and go into your story. So what were your first symptoms? When were you diagnosed? And what was going on around then? And we'll just start the conversation there. Alright, so you received your positive diagnosis at that point, and do you reach out to the guy that you most recently had sex with, or what? Yeah, so we had stopped hanging out by that point. He was like, I don't really see this going anywhere, and I was like, yeah, me either. Um, but I just want to let you know that you're the only person I've slept with, and I now have herpes, so you have herpes, and he was like, oh my god, I had no idea, which is completely believable and fine. Um, I was like, okay, well, I'm telling you now that you do, so, like, you're going to want to think about maybe telling future partners, or if you're seeing someone now, that'd be good information to have um, okay. for you. So I did tell him over text. That was it, though. Okay. Um, yeah. Did y'all have a conversation about your sexual health prior? Like, did you both get tested before sleeping together, or was that a conversation at all? That's, a, that's common. It's very, very common that the conversations like, 
not had because even for me like before i was diagnosed i always expected because i was taught that you would know if someone had an std there'd be yeah. a smell it would be the discomfort or if they had herpes like it would just look like a, a, an explosion took place on the surface of that person's genitals right so avoid having sex with them and i always just thought you know if someone does have an std like they wouldn't want to have sex because it hurts and they're in pain and maybe it would be embarrassing to have like that odor or discharge that were shown pictures of in sex education so it was never really a conversation for me either my conversations were do i need to wear this condom are you on birth control like that was the extent of it But you would think that, though, being in the medical community, you'd think that there would perhaps be uh, a little more due diligence in having the conversation about SCIs before having sex. And then even after, you know, the fact, um, did he give you any, like, doctor stuff or advice at all after you told him that <laughs> you had herpes? No, and that was the weird thing. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, and I think that that speaks volumes to the fact that even doctors are human, you know, uh, the way that I understand it, there's only so much time spent on talking about STIs when doctors are in medical school, when they're in medical school. Um, and there's no really, there's really no ongoing information about it. It's like, okay, someone gets an STD, here's how you treat it. Bam. So it's like, bam, bam, go on about your business, that's it. Uh, Rather than the stuff that we learn after we're diagnosed and we realize, oh my God, I actually need these things. Or, oh my God, this is actually what it's like to live with an STI. I also remember seeing something, uh, and it, it may be the CDC, uh, 
but they didn't recommend against testing, or they didn't recommend herpes testing because it's been proven that behavior doesn't change if someone is positive. Did you see that too? Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the thing about that. Um, At this point, I'm about 200 interviews in, and literally everyone's behavior changed. Like, they talk about some point in their life where something happened after this or something changed. Like, we've interviewed people who are, uh, who've attempted suicide, who have had suicidal thoughts, who have tried to harm themselves, who have stayed in abusive relationships, or... Uh, you know, in very rare cases, like, of course, some people go on to become like herpes education advocates or create some sort of a support page or group or get involved with the community to some capacity. But for the most part, more people have had a behavior change than have not. And I'm 100 percent on hearing in people's stories that something changed. So I'm very curious to know. You know, I, I want to really challenge what those, what that narrative is, and like, where's this research coming from? What questions are being asked? Who's being interviewed to where they get herpes and nothing changes for them, and they just go on about their life yeah. as they have been? Yeah, yeah. I, I also wonder because, um, I mean, like, like my mindset changed. I was like, oh, I need to start like talking to people about this sexual health, like, people who I'm going to, like, potentially be intimate with, um, so in that respect, like, any, like, sexual behavior change, like, I wasn't going to just go into an account, like, for me, at least, I wasn't going to go into, like, um, some kind of, uh, like, physical encounter with someone without telling them that I had herpes, I was like, there's no way I could, I could do that, um, so that changed, and I guess, like, my mindset around, like, I started, after a while, it took me a while to get to this point, but I was like, this is kind of like a superpower wherein, like, I can weed out the people who are ignorant, not willing to learn, like, it tells you a lot about a person if they're like, ew, like, disgusting, like, don't talk to me if you have herpes, like, ew, are you gonna get it if you, like, am I gonna get it if you, like, use a towel, and it's like, oh, okay, like, I get having questions, but I was like, this is a really good way to weed out people who don't want to learn and who, like, are yeah, that's a major, major good point there that this is kind of like a way to weed out people. Um, <clears throat> when we receive our diagnosis, more common than not, we think, damn, you know, no one's going to want to be with me. No one's going to want to have sex with me because I now have an STD. And our general thoughts around what it means to have an STI, what, what happens is I think that we humanize the virus and we viralize our humanness because yeah. what stigma often uh, reflects to us is people with SCIs are these things. And we use words like gross. We use words like um, uh, like uncareful, reckless, promiscuous, like all of these things that are just like unnecessary to what it what it takes to get the virus you know it just takes one encounter with a person who has it themselves who may or may not even know that they have it but like for us to you know give herpes itself 
so much of a priority over our personalities to think that we're not even human anymore. We're not even worthy of connecting with or being intimate with someone that we be, just because we have a virus like that's what we we're, we're basically saying we're actually the virus and the virus is actually the human because if someone can connect over that then we'll be willing to you know just continue interactions off of that completely disregarding maybe political beliefs not aligning or spiritual beliefs not aligning or like just not being compatible in general or like one person wants kids and the other person doesn't want kids so that's a very like noticed thing throughout my experiences of talking to people who are living with this virus yeah like I mean that and that's what I was kind of set on not letting happen like I let myself be upset like when they gave me the piece of paper and the doctor was like you tested positive I cried and I got home and I like cried some more and then I was like no wait like I just got out of this relationship where like it was, it was kind of, like, toxic, and, um, like, I just so badly wanted to find, like, connection and love and, like, have a good time for once, so I was, like, I'm gonna try my best, like, this is gonna suck, this is something I'm gonna have to, you know, talk about to every future partner now, like, a little bit of a roadblock, but I am, like, I am gung-ho on, like, forging <laughs> forward, and, like, I will say, I probably went a little too quickly, I was, like, still having symptoms, I was, like, I'm gonna go on this date, and I, like, felt really, like, horrible, I was, like, itchy and, like, hurting, <laughs> um, but I think I was kind of just overcompensating, and I just wanted to, I just, like, wanted to do what I set out to do when I, before I had herpes, and before I, um, like, right after the breakup. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you mentioned that the, um, relationship that you were in for six years was toxic was it toxic from the beginning or did that kind of evolve over time just curious yeah it evolved over time and like like none of neither of us were like doing something horrible to each other we just grew apart and refused to acknowledge it and like kept living together and we were just not at all like affectionate or loving or anything we were and then suddenly we were just like we're roommates like this is like weird we're fighting but we don't really like each other so yeah okay and you mentioned wanting to connect after that relationship had ended uh was that just your only intention in dating after that because i imagine being in a six-year relationship maybe you want to date around maybe you want new experiences or were you looking for the one right after you got out of that relationship And so how was disclosing for you? Like you got into the dating world after the first guy you made, uh, you had a relationship with or connection with, and then you get herpes. Now you said you went on some dates and you were still like uncomfortable and had physical symptoms. How did, <laughs> you're, you're smiling, so what, yeah. uh, you must have some, some stories for me. Um, nothing like huge. I mean, I think I, 
maybe like 10, 10 guys, but like most of those didn't get to a point where I needed or wanted to disclose. Um, they didn't get to like a physical point. Uh, but the ones I did, none of them were mean or rude or like anything that I was scared of. Um, most people, not most, some said like, oh, you know what? Like, no, thank you. And I was like, that's fine. I mean, that hurt, but it's fine. Um, some ghosted, which is like, people get ghosted whether or not you have herpes. Um, one of them, really nice. He was so, so nice, so willing to learn. And then eventually decided, like, I've done my research. Um, I've, like, tried to learn as much as I can. I just don't think this is going to work. And I was like, that's fine. But, like, you know, we, like, slept together and did stuff. And he was, like, kind of, like, eh about it. But um, he was okay. But disclosing, like, that was a scary, one of the scariest things I ever did. Like, I thought I was going to throw up every time. And I, like, tried to rehearse a line, like, how to say it without sounding too, like, I have herpes. Um, so, yeah, that was a scary experience. Did you have any boundaries for yourself around disclosing? Like, from the time you tell someone and they need to think about it, like, how much time would you give them before you needed to hear back? <coughs> I actually didn't. I didn't really think of that when I, when I decided I was going to disclose. I think it like, just all happened so quickly. I didn't, like, make a game. I didn't really make a game plan. Um, and the guy who was really nice, like, I... I was like, oh, this is so hard because I don't want to tell him because I don't want to scare him away, away. But he's, like, being so sweet. And he, like, got me a birthday present after knowing him for, like, a couple weeks. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry that this is, like, that's what initiated this. But I got to tell you something. Um, and maybe this is for later. But I actually, like, he's so nice that this is, what, four years later. I, like, texted him. I was like, would you mind, like, answering? I know this is really weird. Like, hi, I'm a ghost from her past four years ago. But would you mind answering some questions about, you know, like, my, like, my disclosure to you and, like, what you thought about her piece? So, like, I got him on the phone. And he, like, answered all these questions, um, which I thought was really interesting and cool to hear <laughs> from his perspective. Because, like, I knew how I thought it went down. But then I wanted to hear how he thought it went down. Yeah, well, it sounds like it did go positive. Like, what questions did you have for him? Specifically, uh, I mean, I asked him what he so I asked what he knew before. Before I, I asked him what he knew about herpes before I talked to him about it, because I went like real educational mode on him, and maybe that was like a little too much. Um, I asked him like what his first thoughts were when I told him that I had herpes. Um, I asked him if there's anything that would have made it more comfortable for him, like. Like, is there something that you would have wanted to know? Um, I asked him, like, what he felt like he had to weigh to make the decision, whether or not he wanted to, like, continue the relationship or not, and then if he feels more educated and knowledgeable going forward dating um, about STIs in general and herpes. Yeah. All right. Those are really good questions. What made you want to follow up with them? <laughs> I mean, like, so I... I about this podcast I was like I don't know maybe it would be interesting for and I know he doesn't represent every person but it would be interesting maybe for some listeners to hear like what the disclosee thought like someone with like
like a it's like a short term relationship, you know, like I can ask my husband, he's like, I love you and I'm like, Okay, you're biased but um I thought it'd be interesting to hear from like a short term dating fling. Mm-hmm. Ooh, so how'd you disclose to your husband or how'd you meet? We met on Tinder. Um, yeah, thank you, Tinder. I I mean I did it the same way that I did with everyone. Like I started telling people like the words I used uh, were I had the virus that causes herpes and I don't know, maybe that's like a bit of a defense mechanism for me or like beating around the bush. Um but that's just how I went about it, and he was very, like, very calm. He was like, huh, okay, I mean, I'd like to know a little more, but that's okay. Okay. <laughs> and then, <clears throat> yeah, that was pretty much it. I think he did some of his own research, and then I told him about my experience and, like, what it's like having it for me, and then that was basically it. Now we joke about it. <laughs> um, how long have you been together? Oh, okay. What made you decide to tell him when you told him, how you told him? Like, at what point in your interactions from a Tinder date did you decide, okay, I'm going to tell this guy I have herpes? So, my method was, like, kind of loose. It was just kind of, if I had the sense that it was going in a direction of, like, are we going to be physical in any way? Are we going to have sex? Whatever. I was like, I need to tell them like not while we're getting undressed but like maybe like the days before that so they have time to assess and to ask questions um to make a decision so you know it was like pretty it was pretty early on it was like maybe our like i don't know third or fourth date when i was like okay this is going somewhere i'm probably gonna say something now so it was intuitive for you like, it wasn't something that you're like, okay, bam, I'm going to do it this way. I got this information. I'm going to say it in this order on this date. This is how it's going to happen. It was just like, let me fill it out. And when you felt compelled to or when you felt like it was leading somewhere that you wanted it to go, it was just time for you to go ahead and tell them the way that you felt compelled to tell them in the moment. Yeah, really just like using the spice. <laughs> um, I might Yeah, and um, I have it my own experiences with putting it in my profile, but uh, it is very, like, it's encouraging to see how when we begin to challenge those initial beliefs that we have about our diagnosis, how, you know, ridiculous it was looking back on it that we were so scared to disclose to people or like that we got such anxiety around having a conversation that was necessary and you know we look at COVID now and just how normalized it is to be so quick to tell people hey I you know I wore my mask I social distanced but I still got COVID and you might have been exposed to it so go get tested and maybe stay away from people for two weeks. I have to go stay away from people for two weeks. Like, why can't that conversation be normalized in regards to having an STI? 
hey, I wore condoms. I was precautious. I was safer with my partners, as safe as you could be. Uh, we communicated, but I still got an STI. Disclosed, hey, I may have put you at risk. You should go get tested and treated for it and not have sex for two weeks, right? It's the almost exact same conversation when we look at one virus and then we look at the other virus and just how quickly people have adapted to the protocol and having the conversation itself goes to show you like how prevalent stigma is with herpes because we should have been able to do this and in preparation for COVID to where it was just like, oh, it's not a big deal. But I've talked to people who don't have an STI, who've gotten COVID and have just been like so apologetic and sorry that they may have put other people at risk. And it's like, we can only do what we can do. And, you know, having come from the STI background, I'm just like, whoa, this is what that looks like you know, applied to something else. So I've never had anything else to compare getting an STI to. Like we talk about the cold or the flu and how, you know, we get sick. We just, you know, we tell people, hey, I have, I'm sick, right? But now with this, it's just completely different, but so parallel to HSV specifically. said something interesting that it it sparked a thought in me about how we say we have herpes versus I'm having a herpes outbreak and I'm more contagious than usual and looking at COVID we could have COVID and potentially give it to someone and not have symptoms at all so it just it, it just created a space of curiosity what would it be like if you know we operated under the assumption that more people had herpes than we think and we communicate about the outbreaks the contagion of the contagion is that the word how contagious we are if we're contagious right like i work at a gym and i can wear my mask i can clean the equipment but you know and, and everyone can social distance but it's possible that someone may just come in without symptoms and I may get COVID or I may not have symptoms and I may give someone COVID, right? And in that yeah. case, it's there's a protocol for that. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, now everyone go get tested, find out who has it, and then let's get treated and go back to business as usual with the understanding and expectation that this could happen. Whereas, you know, with herpes, it's like, okay, 
in uh, in terms of COVID, you know when you're more contagious. So when you're more yeah. contagious, maybe not engage in activities that may put other people at risk. So with herpes, when you're more contagious, maybe you don't want to have sex or maybe you don't want to, you know, put, give uh, that physical contact to another person. So it's like the, the thought was just that, like that's just a thought, like there's no real... I'm not going anywhere with it. It's just something that I wanted to address here because I think that that's important. Like, how about we talk about when we're more contagious or we talk about it from a uh, space of herpes outbreaks? Like, hey, uh, I had a herpes outbreak this long ago. Haven't had one since. Uh, I may get another one. It's possible I may give it to you just like with COVID. You know, I don't have any symptoms of COVID, but it's possible. Now, granted, there's a vaccine, you know, in the works and, you know, the, the whole... Uh, globe is operating under the protocol of it, but why can't we, you know, have that <clears throat> outlined for herpes? Yeah, um, yeah, that makes sense. I think, and I think so many more people do have it than we we know and don't know it. Like as soon as I started talking about it with people, I was like, okay, two of my good friends have it, and like a bunch of their friends have it. And then after I did that podcast with Kenzie, I had so many people DM me and be like, oh my God, I also have it. And like, this is my experience. And thanks for talking about it. And it's just like, people just start popping out out of nowhere. And you think it's like this super isolating experience, which it totally can be. Um, but it's also like one of the most common, like whether it be HSV one or two, it's like one of the most common viruses to, to have. It really is. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the more useful resources to you throughout your experience that helped you navigate your diagnosis? Um, so one, like the one that's sticking out to me right now, and it's gonna sound maybe a little bit strange, but Reddit and like, that is Reddit not strange at all. Not strange at all. No. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean Reddit can be a bit of a like shit show, but um, there's so there were two subreddits that I found. One is r slash herpes. That one is a bit of a dumpster fire because people go on there and post pictures of their genitals and they're like, is this herpes? And I'm like, no one's going to diagnose you over Reddit. Um, So that one, like, you don't have to be positive or anything, but then there's another subreddit r slash HSV positive and that's, like, more of a support group for people who are diagnosed, know they have it, want to talk about shit. And um, I found both of those really really helpful one in terms of like me being able to talk about my experience and getting feedback and then reading about other people's experiences and getting feedback and that's how I found um, Terry Warren I think her name is the nurse practitioner in the states who like does a lot of research about herpes um, she was really like help- a helpful resource um, my doctor was like not super helpful she was like this is the worst case i've ever seen and i'm going to refer you to a um infectious disease doctor i was like that's scary but okay um i mean yeah i think like honestly reddit was the best i told my parents they were like oh okay um and just to like show how misinformed people were my dad was like okay so um whatever you do, just don't tell your employer. And I was like, what? <coughs> Why? In what scenario would I tell my boss, hey, 
Yeah. Reddit. Reddit was my number one. Yeah. A lot of people say that having support and community has been more helpful than any of the statistical data or uh, anything that says, oh, here's the, here are the statistics. Here's the number of people who have herpes and don't know they have it, the types and all of that shit. But being able to just share your experience, be listened to be empathized with and perhaps even hearing other people who are navigating the same thing you are offers like this foundation for reciprocal support like you can give it you can get it and reddit being one of those places and like you said it can be a dumpster fire it's important for us to be able to find resources uh for us that offer up the same things that you can get from community. Now, granted, you got to take the good with the bad, right? But uh, in these spaces, there's so many of them. Reddit was just one, but there are so many support groups out there and social groups and like groups for bikers who have herpes, uh, people who lift weights who have herpes, uh, parents with herpes, like so many little subgroups out there that are just tucked away and hidden that it seems like none of them exist, right? So because they're so hard to find and so secretive, you know, like that's that's really what makes it challenging for people to really find the support resources that they really can uh, find to be useful. Yeah, I, and I think it's like easy to get caught up in the like numbers and stats and info stuff because like you really want to, I don't know, you, you kind of want to confirm what, like, how you want things to go. So, like, if you want to keep dating, you want to know, like, that there's a very low chance of you transmitting it to someone. Or, like, you want to know how many other people have it so you can be like, oh, maybe this person also has it. Yeah. And, like, I definitely was on the info numbers stats train at the beginning, like, mostly because I was, like, again, like, it was really rare for me to have such a bad first outbreak. Um, but yeah, I was like so unwell that I was like, I need to, like, am I going to die? Yeah. <laughs> so, especially really having, for, especially having had sorry. to swab yourself and then not be successful swabbing yourself and then having it go untreated for longer than it should have. Yeah. Yeah. So my memory <coughs> was like really delayed. They're like, yeah, like, you need infection. I was like, I don't think so. Um, but yeah, I think the community, I was, cause then once I, was feeling better I was like oh maybe there's a support group in Toronto that I can go to in person um I didn't end up finding one but yeah like online support is plentiful yeah uh last question I have for you is since you're fairly open about your status having been on Kinsey's podcast now and you said people are reaching out to you um how do you feel That's that's really broad. So you want a little bit more. All right. So what I mean by that is opening up about your status can invite uh, emotional. What's the word? It can invite like uh, emotional dumping, venting, if you will, where people just share their stories in your DMs unsolicited. Uh, You can get like some of the darkest stuff or you can get. (laughs) 
<clears throat> or you can even get something as simple as a thank you, you know, or a me too, or, uh, you know, just a simple, some expression of gratitude. Um, but you did also mention that your dad was concerned about your employer finding out. So has there been any of that for you at all? Like, are you worried about uh, certain people finding out? Are you worried about becoming herpes girl? Or do you feel any sort of obligation to uh, hold space for people when they reach out to you or get involved in any sort of sex education or herpes education advocacy? And the reason I'm asking this question is because there are so many ways that people can get involved with destigmatizing herpes by simply just disclosing to your partner, by educating your relatives and um, friends, by when you see a herpes joke, like saying, hey, that's not okay. Or even, you know, taking it, taking it to the extreme of saying I have herpes on a Facebook status or going into support and advocacy or starting a nonprofit and podcast and interviewing people who have herpes. So there's all these different ways of stepping into the destigmatization of this virus that are uh, available to us that you chose the one that you chose. And so my question is, how do you feel about the decision that you made? And are there any regrets at all? Because we can work together then if that's the case. I'm going to hold you to that and yeah. invite you to, uh, <laughs> when the time comes, <laughs> uh, help something positive for positive people. Because uh, going into 2021, 
the main thing that I've been doing has been connecting people to support groups. So people reach out, they want to be a part of a community, and I just connect them to a support group in their area. Um, I've been pursuing funding so that perhaps there can be a time where uh, I can just pay for people to get therapy. Um, I did a test run uh, between August and now, which is the end of December 2020, and I got 13 people into therapy. I have a few more exit interviews to do. But so far, everyone's had a positive experience except for uh, one person that therapy just wasn't for. Another person just didn't click with the therapist and someone just didn't show up. But for out of 13 people, you know, 10 people to continue (laughs) with uh, the therapist um, who's just been someone who's sex positive and understands what a person who's experiencing a herpes diagnosis is going through. Like, I feel like that <clears throat> that community support offers one layer of healing and then an actual therapist uh, offers a different kind of healing. So I want to be able to bring these two things together and that's really where a lot of our fundraising efforts are going. Um, 2021, like going into that, it is not sustainable to pay for everybody's therapy anymore. <laughs> Uh, not until we get like some kind of grant or funding, but what I'm finding is that people just don't care about herpes. Like all of the money that's being given away is for HIV prevention and treatment. So like, yeah, I get donations from people, but therapy is expensive. I just happen to have negotiated a really good deal based on volume. So it's like the more people I give you, the less money you're going to charge me. And so we've been able to help these people and compile a little bit of data as to how useful this is. So I'm hoping that when the time comes, I can present this to someone who will say, you know what? I want to fund the shit out of that and be able to pay for more people to receive therapy services. So um, that's where I'm at. But right now, like, I really got to focus on this podcast. I invested in the mic. I got the iPhone. I got apps and ring lights and I'm doing live videos now. So uh, the goal is really at this point to expand the podcast to the point where um, people, the right person finds it. Like, I just got to speak a little bit louder. For that person to be willing to get on board with this cause or maybe even connect with mental health organizations that already offer the service and partner with them to be able to get people into uh, therapy or even group therapy or something like that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Group therapy can be just as effective oh, yeah. as one-on-one. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else that... I haven't asked that you wish I asked or anything that you want to leave people with before I let you go? Oh, shit, I could have put the camera on the other side so people could see you. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, this was great. Um, I appreciate your time. Thank you for for following up. A lot of people don't do that. Uh, So, like, if we have to reschedule, I just kind of, I have to keep moving. I mean, it's not ever a fuck you to someone who we schedule an interview and then we don't. It's always, like, 
I can't go backwards. <laughs> so I'm glad that you and I reconnected. We had so many just little mishaps in our schedules. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You as well. Um, how can people connect with you if they want to? You can just say that here. Um, probably Instagram would be easiest. Um, I really need to change my username because it's like <laughs> kind of annoying. It's so my name's Amanda, but the the Instagram handle is a period man period d u h period b. A man, like, um, duh, uh, B. B. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, quick mention of, <coughs> promise is not COVID. Uh, quick mention of the Something Positive for Positive People podcast community on Facebook. If you're a listener of the podcast and you just want to connect with other people who listen to the podcast, feel free to just add me on Facebook. I'm Courtney Brain. I have the podcast logo as my cover photo and I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, if that helps at all. Don't add my dad. Don't add my doppelganger. I'm the black dude that has a beard. I'm not the black woman and I'm not the older black man who's bald, all right? So if you're looking for... Uh, just connecting with people who listen to the podcast with that kind of mutual ground there. That's a great space to start. Um, I am hoping that this can become something. I don't know what, but it's fairly small right now and it's not very interactive. Uh, I jump in from time to time and say some things uh, just to make sure people know that I'm still there. <laughs> but my goal with that, my intention is to expand uh, people's perspective who are living with herpes who find this podcast to be able to connect with people who have mutual interests outside of just herpes. So uh, a lot of the listeners are sex positive. Now, granted... Majority of the listeners do have herpes, right? But welcoming in people who are just sex positive, who are willing to have that conversation, I think that it helps us in flexing that muscle of uncertainty with whether or not another person uh, has it or knows we have it and gets people out of their comfort zone and gets them out of that little safety bubble of uh, only communicating with other people who have herpes. And so hopefully, you know, once COVID ends and the world really opens back up, and we begin to have social interactions with people, we can go into our interests and hobbies and begin to connect with people there and potentially make friends, date, network, whatever it is that you want to do without having that uh, that humanized virus voice in the back of your head telling you that, uh, you know, how it's only a matter of time before they find out and then they... Uh, slap the shit out of me and throw their drink on me because that's exactly what people do when you tell them that you have herpes, right? No, it's not. <laughs> All right. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to this podcast. Donations are always being accepted. Going into 2021, there's a little, uh, there's a different structure of how the donations are distributed. So I'll make sure that that is listed on the website. So on the website, you'll see where the funds are going towards all these different things. Um, but your donations now actually support me too. So you're going to support the efforts of Something Positive for Positive People and and you'll be able to help me keep my bills paid as well. So, um, again, that distribution is on the website. So you can see and make that decision for yourself. But, yeah, now I'm really, really pushing for donations. And if you have any funding opportunities that you may be aware of, please don't hesitate to reach out and let us know. Uh, Till next time, stay sex positive.